0: Yeah, and then for, um... for Gilbert.
1: You're too loud. No, I'm too loud. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> That's why I moved to farther uh-uh. away from you. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Are <laughs> <laughs> recording right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, there it is.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: great, great to know. Oh, why am I so loud?
1: Walking Underwater,
0: One Water,
2: One Podcast,
1: I'm Amy McIntosh, Managing Editor of Water Quality
2: Products,
0: I'm Bob Crossen, Managing Editor of Water and Waste Digest,
2: and I'm Laura Baltus, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. So,
0: um, we've had a busy month.
2: We sure have.
0: We started, we have. yeah, we started the month with travel, the middle of the month was travel, and then we also had another site visit, for you guys at least.
2: Yeah, and I had more travel at the end of the month. Yeah. So we've all been not here. <laughs> yeah.
0: Th- thankfully, just the beginning of the month was my travel, um, which is good because of the September issue is such a monster for me. But yeah, um, Yeah. so the first thing that we did this month, we went to Phoenix, Arizona um, as part of our ongoing day zero coverage for water scarcity, water conservation, um, all the things that kind of entail that uh, could be desalination, potable reuse, both indirect and direct, Um, So we started the month by visiting the Department of Environmental Protection in Arizona and talked to them a little bit about how they are adopting a potable reuse regulation and the kind of the processes they're going through with that and a lot about their outreach with it too. Um, One of the big parts of their outreach was this brewery competition or this beer competition where um, they made a mobile like unit For potable reuse and they kind of traveled it around Arizona and made bottles of water for a bunch of the different competitors of this competition to make beer from it um, to show that this water is just as good as any other water Um, so that that was like a really cool way to introduce potable reuse to people especially in a desert where that's gonna become like critically important for them but then we also visited Desert Mountain Golf Course as well as the Scottsdale Advanced Waste or Advanced Water Treatment Facility.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Desert Mountain community, um, it's I think they call it a club. It's but it's a kind of a gated community um, made up of six golf courses, and um, they're on eight thousand acres. And there are homes there. They have like a real estate uh, service. You can live and golf in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. It is beautiful. It really is. Um, And part of what um, I think adds to the the overall uh, beauty of it is that much of Arizona is kind of dry and arid and Mm -hmm. desert-like, but you see these golf courses and they're green and beautiful. And that's because, um, desert mountain along with, I think all, they said all of the golf courses in Scottsdale or most of them, but desert mountain, I believe is the first one that has a partnership with the city of Scottsdale's water treatment plant. Um,
2: which Bob just mentioned.
1: Yes. And Mm -hmm. so we visited this golf community, um, on Tuesday and then Wednesday we went to the plant. Um, so we kind of saw the, the process in reverse a little bit, but, um, Basically, the golf courses get this water from that's been treated and everything from the wastewater mm-hmm. treatment plant. Um, and initially, one thing they told us, initially when the golf courses were getting, when Desert Mountain was getting this water, it was too salty for the, mm. the turf. Um, so they worked with the treatment plant, and the treatment plant um, installed a another stage of UV disinfection to kind of remove the... Sodium from the water and the golf course is paid for that system. They pay for the maintenance of the system um, Because it's you know, it's good for their water. They're not using potable water to water these uh, golf courses, but they do it was interesting to see at the golf course the other things that they're doing to kind of conserve even this water that's already kind of a sustainable resource because it's being reused they have um, They have these devices called pogo Oh yeah, um, yeah.
0: It's Pogo, Turf. It's, like a, it's like a stick. It's yeah. essentially a stick with a prod on the end of it.
1: Yeah. So they stick it in the grass, and they um, it shows up on a smartphone. Basically, the water level, I guess, yeah, like of the, the saturation
0: the, of mm-hmm. the soil, essentially.
1: So they're not like watering the entire golf course. They can just kind of pick and choose strategic spots that need water so that was pretty interesting to see Mm -hmm. and they showed us their drone they're doing all sorts of cool things with data at these golf courses
2: i think that i was actually telling my friends about this pogo thing because i think it is so cool um and uh this is my life now um i talk about water all the time um but i think there's a misconception that when golf courses water they're turning on sprinkler systems Everywhere mm-hmm. on the golf course. Mm-hmm. But it, it was really interesting to hear about how, like Amy said, strategic and careful they're watering so that it's just very small sections at a time so that they're not wasting, but the whole golf course is still, like, on the same uh, de- degree of, what would you say, like, hydration mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. water level. So
0: Yeah. It was really interesting because it, it's just – hyper strategic and it makes a lot of sense for an area like Arizona where you are just already water strapped to begin with I mean you're one of what I think of like eight states pulling from the Colorado River Um, so you're water strapped you're sharing a lot of water with people already so finding ways to like make water go further is Mm -hmm. like really important and like this is just a really cool like really beautiful golf course but like really cool how they make every drop like matter
2: um, and something else that really stuck out to me from this visit, I forget which of the gentlemen we spoke to said that, but he was saying that these golf courses are green for a number of reasons, and one is they economically they bring a lot to the area. Um, they're environmental, and the one of the reasons that they're environmental is that they um, improve the air quality so dramatically. Since, Mm -hmm. like Amy said, it is so dry in this region, Mm -hmm. I found it fascinating that just watering these golf courses and having this turf everywhere, it's improving the air quality dramatically. Mm -hmm. And you'd never think of it.
1: Yeah, but it it makes sense because, you know, I mean, I don't know anything about air, anything, but, you know, plants are supposed to... Right, improve the air Terrifying. and there are no plants right. yeah. when we were driving it was just like <laughs> rocks rocks fans. dirt and some cacti yeah. Yeah. But... yeah
0: there's there, there are some other local local plants but um they're I not
2: might... real green yeah yeah
0: yeah um well and then th- the other thing I imagine for that too is with when you have turf like that in a, a dry arid place like you're cutting down on dust too mm-hmm. so right. like that, that's another aspect of that right. air quality as well.
1: Yeah, because we did experience some Arizona dust while we were there. Oh
0: yeah, there <laughs> was, was a that.
2: dust storm. Yeah. Uh, ha- Haboob. Ha-boob. <laughs> 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 um, so, w- we also visited the Scot- Scottsdale Advanced Water Treatment Plant, which works directly with these golf courses. Um, and it was it is exactly what it is. It's a very advanced <laughs> treatment plant. Um, and one thing that stuck out to me about this plant, which I've talked to Amy and Bob about a little bit, was how they um, devote a lot of time to educating the public about water use. Um, We took a tour there, and it was a well-oiled machine because they give tours all the time. They have displays and props and PowerPoint, or just video presentations. So um, education about water, especially in communities like this, where it is is water-scarce, so important and they really make an emphasis to mm-hmm.
0: do that on that yeah they it's almost like they built that plant with the idea that we're going to walk people through this in mind right because they had like different stations showing like cutouts of technology whether they were membranes or mm-hmm. or what have you and then they would have a like a giant television screen to show you to show with like diagrams and everything how that right how how it works mm-hmm. the, how like this section of the works in this way right. um, which it, it was just like really cool and um, like, like she said it's, it's a great like outreach thing and I think that that was particularly interesting from a lot of the visits that we did is that public outreach and the public's knowledge of these mm-hmm. things was a very important right like thing to these people
2: mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons where vi- we visited the Phoenix area is because Like Bob said, this is for day zero coverage. We're covering water-scarce regions, and Phoenix does it well. (laughs) And so we wanted to see what they did well, and that outreach is definitely a component of it. Well,
1: and also, I don't know, they... You know, as transparent as they are about providing information to people, it was also interesting to me. I've never been to – I've been to a lot of plants, Mm -hmm. but I've never been to a plant where everything is covered.
2: Right. And
1: everything Mm -hmm. is kind of hidden away. And, I mean, it makes sense because it's so hot and there's Mm -hmm. evaporation and all that stuff. But I believe they said it was like a legal thing or something, like the aesthetics and the odor
0: and – So, yeah, so it was two things. One was the odor, so controlling odor and keeping it kind of indoors and being able to use air filtration to, like, mitigate odors and whatnot. But then the other thing is that it's close to a like, near, it's, like, right across the street from a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so it has to conform to the HOA standards of That's how it. buildings look. So mm-hmm. they Aww. had to keep everything looking like the other homes in yeah. the neighborhood. So it, it it's a really pretty plant, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just really aesthetically pleasing, like, to look at. And, well, and
1: you don't even realize it's a plant when you see it because, you yeah. know, it doesn't have the the traditional signs of a wastewater treatment plant, I guess.
2: Yeah. So that was interesting. I guess it's a good way to warm people up to a wastewater <laughs> yeah. treatment is make it look nice, first of all, then they yeah. don't want to visit it.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it, it just shows that they, they go out of their way to be a part of that community, yeah. right? Like they're making their buildings look like a part of the community mm-hmm. and they're bringing in people to educate them on, on how yeah. it works. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to entrench, entrench themselves within that community to really say we are a part of this as well mm-hmm. and we're here for you if you need it. Whether you like it or not, I guess.
2: <laughs> so we also talked, visited the city of Gilbert.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they have a program the Water Smart.
0: Yeah. Program. I think it was Water Smart. Um,
1: where they work with different communities um, on irrigation of the the landscapes around um, housing communities. I guess um, mm-hmm. they set up native planting and smart controllers and all sorts of really pretty, um, aesthetically pleasing landscaping and plants and whatnot, um, that keep the the community looking nice, but also not wasting any water in the process.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the, a lot of those local plants were like, they really were pretty. Mm-hmm. Like there were some that were just really cool. Um, but yeah, the, the I, that was also another thing with HOAs. It sounded like like they partner with these like neighborhood groups to say this is how we can help you with irrigation in your community. There's here's how these things work and whatnot. And then they work with like the those boards to install these systems and and whatnot. And the other thing that we like like we had said we noticed this haboob while we were there. There was also just a massive rainstorm. Mm-hmm. We were we were there during one of their monsoons and. a monsoon comes through it drops a ton of water in just a very short period of time so part of the thing that we saw also was a like a stormwater detention Mm -hmm. detention basin Mm -hmm. um which was also like again very pretty and aesthetically pleasing like they do they did a great job with Mm -hmm. this so
2: you have to be creative with um landscaping and dry places like this Mm -hmm. you know yeah they did a good job
0: yeah and and because of that that partnership with that it Again, it's more of that community involvement and getting their buy-in into mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is just, I think that's such a critical thing, especially for when it comes to, like, stormwater stuff.
1: Yeah, and it helps that they can kind of take ownership of it and help mm-hmm. out with the maintenance and whatever that needs to be done with it. It's kind of, like, there. Mm-hmm. Because um, the one that we saw, there were, like, you know, places to, there was some sort of, exercise something mm-hmm. in a, in the thing, like a balance beam or something. So mm-hmm. it's like, and there was a big field with a park and um, a playground that I think was also part of this program mm-hmm. as well. So it's kind of like a recreational area, a nice place to walk. Somebody's walking their dog. So mm-hmm. it's like something that they can take ownership of and um, kind of help out with the maintenance
0: and stuff. So it's really their space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for all of these visits, we took a lot of video. Um, we're still processing all of that, but there will be videos on all of these so you can yes. see just how pretty these things look. Yeah. Um, so you, rather than hear us talk about <laughs> how it was like really pleasing for us to be there and see them, despite the fact that it was very hot heat, uh, um, <laughs> but, but we'll, there will be images and video for you to see so you can actually see how these work. Um, and we did interview people at each of those sites to talk a little more in depth about um, how that all kind of figured together. Yeah.
2: We, met the, we mentioned that the rest of us did other travel yeah. in the month of August. <laughs> I can't yeah. keep track. <laughs> almost. almost yeah. What or. month is it? <laughs> um, uh, I went to StormCon last week. It was a good show. Um, what I really value from going to these StormWar shows is seeing um, the people that I am talking to via email and phone all the time in person. Uh, we don't always get to do that. We don't always get to see each other, but at these... Um, industry show. So um, I really made some good connections. You may have seen me, Andrea, and Larry um, walking the show floor. Um, And if we didn't get a chance to say hi, definitely um, reach out to us. And hopefully we can. We'll see you at Weftech, um, or in February at IECA um, or at our show in November at um, the SWS Conference and Exhibition. Um, And... Also, Amy and I and our associate editor Lauren did a site visit just in the Chicago area since, um, you know, it's pretty local for us at the Morton Arboretum, which is beautiful. Um, it's humongous. It, <laughs> the, the biggest arboretum I've ever been to. Yeah. Um, but they have a lot of stormwater features that they're incorporating um, permeable pavers, bioswales, um, wetlands and um a key for them is making it all aesthetically um, pleasing because it is um i don't know a destination people go there for the views and for the environment and so it's important to them to maintain that standard as well while incorporating these environmental features um and what's interesting so at stormcon um There's a lot about permeable pavement and permeable pavers, sessions and booths. And at the Morton Arboretum, they were describing how in their parking lot, they have permeable pavers that have gaps in part of the parking lot. And then another part where there's more foot traffic, there aren't any of those gaps because they hold a lot of events, weddings, banquets. And so women with high heels shouldn't be walking on those (laughs) permeable pavers with gaps in them and so they really took these small details into consideration when incorporating these features so they had a little bit of both um uh, different kinds of pavers so um i don't know it was interesting to kind of see those in application
1: yeah and she um we she was also telling us about the the, like lake and stuff that Mm -hmm. they have the wetland um in the actual Arboretum area um, and she was saying that they had had some floods in recent years and she was showing us where the water was and everything and how high mm-hmm. it got and it just how quickly it all went away just because of some of these things that they added yeah. so it was nice to hear that they they're working uh, they're working yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, so that uh, also watch out for your video about that type visit on um, e Um so that's yeah,
0: that that wraps up a, a lot of our, tra- yeah. a, lot of our month, a lot of our month. A lot of our month was just this travel, but um, yeah, Lauren, you you had a, a news item that you wanted yeah, to discuss. Yeah, so
2: we have some one water related news items we wanted to bring up. Um, one of them is about some uh, a wastewater spill. Um, uh, you can find this news item on wwdmag.com And it is about how um, the Binghamton, New York Wastewater Treatment Plant discharged um, approximately um, 34 million gallons of untreated wastewater and stormwater runoff into the local river. Um, And um, it's not great. (laughs) Uh, What's interesting, so it's... Wastewater entry wastewater, stormwater runoff from a um, combined sewer overflow. And that's why it was discharged. But then this river, um, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, but it's... Susquehanna. A, Su- Susquehanna River. Um, I was looking it up, and it eventually... Um, it runs through... Um, it, oh, it eventually flows and then en- empties into the Chesapeake Bay, which is which is a drinking water source so hopefully that part of the river is long enough to where this will dissipate and it won't be affecting drinking water um, which it likely won't I mean with the treatment processes but it is a good example of how this is all connected.
0: Yeah and the Chesapeake Bay is a notorious place for nutrient problems. Um, this has like been many years we've received a lot of content on trying to denitrify the mm-hmm. Chesapeake Bay and trying to um, well I guess denutrify is the correct way to so, <laughs> for, for not to say that but like basically trying to remove the nutrients that contribute to algal blooms so that it can so they can restore this wetland area and improve the drinking water. Right. Um, so this is certainly not like a very good thing to happen, no. um, but it's not the only one um, that we've noticed in the past month or so. Uh, in fact, like I have, I saw one in Connecticut where a power failure led to wastewater discharge into a Connecticut River. Um, there was 45 million gallons of sewage and stormwater mixed that flowed into the into Baltimore water area. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also partially treated sewage in the casco bay which is in maine um so this is not like an isolated mm -hmm. thing there are these types of things are happening and warren and i were talking about this earlier about just if this is like a natural frequency for this kind of thing to happen when there are heavy storms and it's difficult to maintain these things or if this is just or, or, if this is just like a series of concentrated events that are coincidental or kind of what why, why this would kind of a trend would be happening and then the other thing could be that we're just hearing about them more frequently mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, There's more media attention. Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah so the, this is something that I, I, I am actually discussing in my editorial letter for September's um, so I'll go into more detail about that if you want to check that out. Good teaser. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, and then um, we had another news item here about um, Chicago. Uh, and I think Amy mentions this in her editorial letter, so mm-hmm. that's another teaser for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but there was there were water quality tests um, that found high um, elevated lead levels in Berwyn and Cicero, which are um, just outside Chicago. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit more, Amy.
1: Um, yeah, so, I mean, in Chicago, you know, we always hear how great our drinking water is and when it leaves the plant it very well maybe but there are Chicago was one of the last cities to stop installing lead service lines Mm
2: -hmm.
1: one of the last major cities at least when um, the lead and copper rule was enacted so they were pretty much installing lead service lines up until they were legally not allowed to anymore Mm -hmm. so especially in some of these older neighborhoods and suburbs there's still a lot of lead service lines in in and around chicago so these two um cicero and berwin are two suburbs right outside chicago they um worked with the virginia tech researchers who helped um do some of the flint testing and they found um i don't believe the when the chicago tribune article came out they hadn't tested all of the water samples yet but they got results from 17 of the homes um Four of them had levels above 40 parts per billion. One in Cicero was as high as 140 parts per billion. And they distributed more than 100 testing kits. And those were, you know, the results from 17 of them. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what sort of results uh, come from that. But for me, I, you know, I read that and I was like, well, I live in an older neighborhood in the city. Yeah, Lauren and I both do. And... So the city of Chicago has a program um, on their 311 website, which is the non-emergency number. I don't know. I don't think every city has that. But um, where you can request a free water testing kit. And I know Lauren mm-hmm. did that. Um, and how long did
2: it take for you to get your... I think it took about two months, give or take.
1: Yeah. I, um, I When I was writing my editorial letter, actually, I requested one because... After I read this, I was like, eh, I should probably. Yeah. Um, so I've heard varying reports from people about how long it takes. Yeah. Um, I know some people haven't even, like, wait months and months and don't get them. And have wait- waited a long time to get their results. Mm-hmm. It's just a very lengthy process, I think.
2: It's interesting because the box had three bottles in it. And it's, um, if I remember correctly, because I haven't done it yet, because mm-hmm. I've been gone, um, it's you initial pull from mm-hmm. the water and then after so many minutes and then after so many more minutes um, and then you're sending in all these water samples well actually you re- you request a pickup actually oh I don't think you mail it um, it's it's interesting but it comes with documentation and instructions and stuff so um, both Amy and I will be doing that and mm-hmm. I know Amy's gonna plans to report on that um, on those results. I'm curious because like Amy said we both live in old neighborhoods and I know I live in a very old building. Um, And while my and Amy has a water filter uh, for her for her drinking water that filters lead. I don't and my and you know we're old enough that lead isn't going to be as damaging to us but there is there are small children in my building. Mm -hmm. So it would be interesting to hear and if there was any kind of Bad news about this that I would share that with those families. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. or even you know your building manager yeah, or with my, or my landlord. Or yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to hear what you guys yeah. get back in terms of results and like just kind of following that process. Mm-hmm. Would yeah, be interesting to note. So yeah,
2: so stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, experiment yeah. happening.
0: <laughs> so we we don't have an, an interview this month, but um, we, we we did want to talk a little bit about one of the features that's in our magazine. Um, It's BlipR, it's augmented reality. Um, So it's a way to take our print magazines and introduce some of the digital things that we are doing, specifically with video. Um, We've included podcasts in this as well, or if we have extra photos we couldn't run, we can put them in there too. So um, BlipR is an application on your phone um, that you would have to download. Mm -hmm. And when you open... Yeah, it's totally free. Um, you can download it on iTunes and Google. Um, it's just readily available. Um, and when you open it, it'll have a screen that you would hover over a page that is calling out, you can use the BlipR app on this. Um, for, for my September issue, there are gonna be a handful of articles that actually include BlipR with them. So um, look for the, lo- look for, like, the little call out box. It'll be on the first page of all the articles. And it'll tell you what you will see if you use blipbar on it. So when you hover over that page, you'll hold down the button on the mm-hmm. phone mm-hmm. until it like registers yes. that it's mm-hmm. it's done, and then it will populate with the digital the digital content that we have provided. Mm-hmm. So in the case of Water and Waste Digest, one of the articles is about a Springfield, Illinois, um, like urban flooding storm water pipe project that's connecting to a combined storm and sanitary sewer that is like a break arch sewer from when the city was like first made. Um, and so we will have a video of that because I went to visit it and you can view that through bar. and while you're reading the article, you can be like, oh, I'd like to see more of this or I'd like to hear more from the people involved in this. You can get this video very, very quick and easy
2: um i'm incorporating a few features into stormwater solutions as well there are a couple articles in this issue that will have um a slideshow of more photos that we couldn't fit in the spread and um also in my editorial letter i will be attaching this podcast to it so if you're listening because you read my editorial letter (laughs) hey (laughs) (laughs) thanks
1: (laughs) Um, and in water quality products, um, we, there, on every editorial letter I do, um, there is a little bonus piece of content, whatever, uh, you know, might be a reminder mm-hmm. to nominate someone for a dealer of the month or, um, like Lauren said, direct you to this podcast. It just depends. Um, in the October issue, it's going to link to a video that we shot a couple months ago um, in Milwaukee at the Global Water Center. Or across the street from the Global Water Center I should say there's kind of a filter demonstration project there so you can um, check that out in the October
0: issue. And speaking of upcoming issues yeah. I guess we should preview those a little bit. Yeah. Um, Lauren if you want to start. Yeah,
2: I'll be short and sweet because our um, uh, September issue is the casebook so um, there it's just filled with a bunch of different case studies. Um, The topics include pipe, drainage and flood control, stormwater management, monitoring and pollution prevention, and erosion control. Um, And we're also adding a few longer case studies and continuing our construction site runoff series. Um, And this month that uh, construction site runoff case study is um, about uh, constructing an elementary school in texas um courtesy um written by um i mean <laughs> uh our friends at power engineers so um be sure to check that out and um yeah it's just short and sweet case book this mm-hmm. month.
0: <laughs> amy's i think is also short and sweet it is. is it not <laughs> well
1: i mean yes for the august <laughs> issue of water quality products Sorry, September issue. I was was wrong. I don't know anymore. (laughs) We we do
0: a lot of issues. We're already working on
2: October.
1: We're already working on October, so I don't know where I am in space or time. Um, But the September, the September issue of Water Quality Products (laughs) has our second ever small systems supplement. Um, So check that out. We've got a decentralized wastewater treatment system in there um, and some other uh, interesting stories and then our main issue um, is jam-packed with all sorts of fun stuff we have an update from the WQRF to kind of hear what they're doing um, in terms of research and then we have a pretty cool article about this community in California and Southern California that did a contest among their highest water users to give them a free water efficiency makeover. They called it the extreme water makeover. (laughs) So um, that was pretty cool. They installed a bunch of really cool water efficient things around this family's home. Um, And then we've got some stuff about emerging contaminants and an update on legislation from WQA. So check
0: that out. Yeah. So and just to piggyback a little bit on the small systems, Water and Waste Digest will have that digitally on, the, on our website. So if you want to read some of those, um, that is a joint publication between Water Quality Products and Water and Waste Digest. So um, do look out on our website for that. There will be um, a digital link to all of those features on our website as well. Um, but in terms of my September issue for Water and Waste Digest... This is a very big issue because it goes to Weftech. So um, this has a massive section of products that will be on the show floor at Weftech as well as some company profiles, including booth numbers for those companies. So um, this is a good resource to have at the show so that you can find out um, what types of products you are looking for and where you can find them on the show floor and what companies to find. Um, But in addition to that, this issue also has our first ever industry icon um, we will be announcing the name of that person in a little bit so I'm going to not reveal that at the moment um, but um, do look out for that and that industry icon feature um, it featured it's a new thing that we're featuring someone who's been in the industry for a very long time who has contributed a lot what um, not only in their regular day-to-day jobs but also extracurriculars so like working with um, associations, being on boards, being involved outside of normal work hours with the industry. And um, I think that this first industry icon is a good example of that kind of a person. Um, so please look out for that. There will be a video on Blipbar for that one as well. So um, if you remember, just if you get that Blipbar app, please use it on that page. There will be a really cool video of her at her home Um, in Wisconsin. So a little bit of a teaser. (laughs) And there's a dog in it. Yeah, there's also a dog, which um, is also an icon. The (laughs) (laughs)
1: co-icon.
0: But in addition to that, I I mentioned the Springfield, Illinois feature earlier. We also have an article um, that's a follow-up on uh, Hurricane Harvey in Conroe, Texas. We also have another feature in Florida about how um, septic tanks have been contributing to algal blooms, and how a how storm sewer or how sewers can be used to fix that problem specifically vacuum sewers. So that one is a very interesting article that has a couple of sidebars about different areas of Florida that are affected and how they've changed because of implementation of these vacuum sewers. Um, so. Be on the lookout for all of those things. There are a lot of really cool articles, and I'm I'm pretty proud of this issue because the it visually it turned out like really really pretty too. So I'm um, looking forward well, to showing that one off at uh, at Weftech in October, which
2: which is right uh, around the corner. Right um, around the corner. I imagine we may do a special episode of the podcast for Weftech, mm-hmm. potentially even recording on the show for if we have time. Um, so if you one somebody who would like to be interviewed um, on the podcast, let us know. Um, maybe we can work something out. <laughs>
0: yeah, please get in touch with us. You can uh, email us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com. You can message us individually via email. You can give us calls. All of our contact information is on each of our websites. Um, so feel free to, to do that if you're um yeah, please do get in touch. We're, we're looking for some more involvement with you, so. Yeah.
2: Cool. Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, and,
0: and before we go, I, we always call for audience questions or audience involvement. In addition to getting in touch with us about WebTech, I did, when I mentioned that there were these sewage spills and that kind of thing and how I've noticed more of them recently. If you have some insight into why that would be, or you if you think that this is becoming a growing trend, or yeah. if you have some more insight there, please do get in touch with me. I'd like to know a little bit more about this. If this is a if this is a regular type of occurrence that this happens more frequently because we've had some such disastrous storms okay. recently, um, or if the, these are just kind of coincidental that they're all falling in the same time period, or if you have any insight on that, please do get in touch. I would like to learn more about that and know why a lot of this is happening and um, maybe I can do some type of article or we can talk to you about that for the pod, for a future mm-hmm. episode or something. So,
1: cool. Awesome. Yeah. All righty. Okay. Thanks, guys.
0: Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>